Hello, my friends. Today, we are talking to Jason, the CTO at GitHub, and we discuss his transition from VP of technology to CTO, how to coach your team to deal with failure, and why he almost quit working in technology two different times. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. There he is. Joel, how's it going? Dude, man of the hour. How are you? Pretty good. You know, 2020 good. 2020 good? Yeah, you're in a new room now. Yeah. It looks like you've got a new background as well. I do. We built like a little studio out and uh, now now we look professional, you know? <laughs> well, a professional and then you grew this massive beard. I know, right? <laughs> the COVID beard. You've got it. You've got some shadow going on though. Are you going to grow it out? I have a rule, which is I shave every Sunday. So it's Wednesday or, or I guess Tuesday today. So this is my Tuesday shadow from Sunday. So is it that you just like doing difficult things or? I, I, I'm lazy when it comes to shaving during this time. Like, what's the point, right? Like I'm married, got three kids. I know what my life's about at this point. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I got to actually cut, cut my hair. That's the other thing I've got to do. But um, I do that every sixth week now or so. I've learned to cut my own hair. So. You know, I'm due for that this week. You're cutting your own hair? Like you watch a YouTube video? How did you do that? I have been actually cutting my own, for, own hair for a little while, but not to the degree and depth that I need to do this here. You know, like you do the tune-up haircut. This yes. is, you can, now I've got to actually cut it. So I've got, I've got the wireless uh, clipper. You know, I've got, I, I do the, the various guards up and down. And uh, then I have to have the wife come back and clean up the back of the neck here. Um, and in my situation, my head doesn't actually stop anywhere in my body. So I actually just have to have her create some sort of like forest line cut on the back of my neck between the back. Yeah. yeah. There you go. That's what you do. Just, just uh, punch a good line in and then you can work around that line. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Dude, I love this. It's always great talking with you, man. Last time we were hanging out, you were like the SVP of technology, but now you're, now you're a CTO. Is that because you came on the podcast? I think it was. It was a correlation is causation type of situation. So anyone who's thinking about coming on the podcast, get on the podcast. <laughs> well, how how has the role changed for you though? Uh, in my, in this situation, in this context, massively. Um, typically, I would say that um, the role I was in before was GitHub CTO, but what it was before and what it is now is very different. Um, so let me explain. So before, when we talked, I was the SVP of technology, which in GitHub's history also meant CTO. But in that case, I ran product engineering, security, support. I had data and infra as well. And um, I ran all those functions and product design rolled up to me via product at the time. And since we've hired people for all those functions, um, and this is all post-acquisition. Pre-acquisition, I actually had BD and Corp Debt for a short period of time as well. But post-acquisition, we've hired a head of product, we've hired a new engineering person, uh, new head of data, new head of um, infra. And um, I have since gone on to CTO in, in this context here, it means that I run a small office, the office of the CTO. It's very in line with what Microsoft does in those functions. Kevin Scott is the Microsoft CTO. He has an office of the CTO. Mark Rasinovich is the Azure CTO. He has a small office of the CTO as well. 
So it's a little bit different than what people consider to be a traditional CTO role, but I quite like it. Um, and it kind of gives me room to, to play. Um, what I do is I focus on Horizon 3 stuff. So all exploratory, all, you know, you won't see manifesting GitHub for probably years at this point, but it's all fun stuff. Oh, that's cool. Because I was going to ask you about the new, like I just got the emails and all the notifications that the new GitHub CLI is coming out. Yeah. And I was curious, not necessarily about like the details of the functionality of it or whatnot, but like when something like that happens, how much of that is on your radar? How involved are you in that? Well, so interestingly, all of those things are still manifest from old roadmap that we put together while I was in my other role. So I know about a lot of that stuff intimately, though there is a point in time when it, I start to diverge in my knowledge about what's happening on the roadmap from a detail perspective. So because of the overlap in time, I still know a lot of those things and have been pretty close to them. CLI is a good example of something though that is um, we had on roadmap, but the details of it are different than when I was there in that other role. So it has started to diverge a little bit as well. So then now today you're just focused on Horizon 3 stuff? Horizon 3 things. So the way we classify these is Horizon 2 is near-term roadmap, right? Horizon 1 is near-term roadmap. Horizon 2 is a little bit more speculative, but you should probably be getting 80% of those things right with a little bit of customer development. But Horizon 3 is probably three plus years out. Things that just we think should exist, but we need to go figure out how to make happen. That's awesome. So when people ask you what you work on, is it like hush hush, like DARPA type stuff? Or do you get to talk about it? I like to talk about it, but I always caveat it with uh, we're going to fail more than we're going to succeed because that's the nature of taking on very experimental things. And so don't expect the things I talk about are actually going to show up. But when they do, they're going to really change GitHub. So good example of this from recent history is that I would consider to be this type of stuff is the original GitHub Actions. That was a very speculative, long-term, strategic thing that we kind of incubated inside GitHub for some period of time. We're looking at things like that, things that are tangential or kind of adjacent to what GitHub does today, but in new and interesting ways. And we will find ways to bring that into the current product. Nice. Yeah, I was, I'm always looking like out for new tools and like new features, things that are pretty cool. I met this company called Rookout and they actually sent yeah. me a little sticker, right? A little, Rookout, uh, Rookout Labs, right? They do the... Um, oh, so you uh, know them? Yeah. Oh, so then no. All right. I got to find a different company. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I'm pretty close to most of the things that are happening in the software space, particularly when it comes to dev tools. Yeah, because there's there's some that just come out and I was like, they had a really smart team and then uh, I met them and I met their CTO and I got to talk to, you know, Liron and and I think I'm pronouncing that right. But he was just a really smart guy. And whenever I find small teams that are doing something really interesting and really smart, uh, I always like to help push them forward and get, you know, get them out there into the world. But then I saw um, my, my producer right now just pushed a note that said, uh, your CEO is actually an investor in that company. Yeah. So Matt, uh, between Matt and I, I think we know pretty much everything that's happening in the software space <laughs> these days. And we're likely one, either one of us is likely an investor in one of them too. So. Yeah. So when you saw Rookout, you were like, this is an interesting product. Uh, yes. So there, the way I categorize what's happening in software is it's 
it's in the ideation space, the code space, the build test pack space, or the production space. And um, unfederated territories is in production at the moment is the way I, I categorize it. So I'm looking, I'm on the lookout for anything that's interesting in, in that space. People are doing things new, different, uh, a little bit uh, out there because that's where I think a lot of the innovation is going to happen in the next five years. Nice. Have you, did you get to see the, um, it's, it just came out on Netflix, The Social Dilemma? I have heard about it. And obviously, if you're on Twitter, you're, you're hearing about it a lot, but I've not seen it. Yeah, so I actually watched it. And one of the questions that I have coming out of it, just, just that I'm asking around for, is this concept um, of algorithms and echo chambers, right? Mm-hmm. We're all kind of familiar with that as a topic of conversation. I was just curious, have you, have you had any like deep thinking sessions on this? Are there any interesting solutions out there to you? I mean, I, I haven't, I don't have anything. <laughs> so, I mean, I think like most, I have opinion on what is happening in the social space, social media and then algorithms in general. And, you know, you, you can take a couple of different views on it. I, I wouldn't say that I have any depth of thought specific to social media, um, nor expertise. But what I do have is I have a little bit of fear around it because you see what's happening in 2020 with social media and you know, you worry about it. But at the same time, I'm a long, I think what's the term is you're a long-term optimist, but short-term pessimist. (laughs) And that's how I view things. And software in general has changed the world entirely in very short period of time. But at the same time, you you have that short-term pessimistic view about what will happen with it. Long-term, obviously, I think software and, and technology in general is going to continue to change people's lives for the good. But I, it's hard to reconcile or square that circle with what you feel short-term on those things. Yeah. For me, I was, I'm just like trying, I'm getting my feet wet into these conversations because I'm learning a little bit, trying to discuss a little bit, trying to wrap my mind around it because I've, you know, you and I have both been alive since before these things really existed. And now to where they're, you know, I've got, we both, you have kids. We talked about that last time, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you've got your kids. I've got, I think they're older than mine. Mine are only like three, but, uh, you know, they're going to be, these are going to be like real things happening and decisions we're going to have to make about like when they enter into these types of technologies. And so, well, The thing I I think about quite a bit is more at the societal level on these things. And we all know that people's opinions and information have been shaped for generations and decades and centuries based on who they they hang around. So, you know, there's that concept that the the five closest people to your information sources are going to drastically or drastically shape your view of the world. And this is borne out in history. And I think about the power that the social media uh, the media and the media landscape in general has had for decades, but show, social media in particular today, there's a reason why the Murdochs wanted to go buy a, news, a newspaper and a media outlet is because they understand that you can shape opinion based on how you present arguments. Well, social media is doing that these days. No, you know, I just recently tried to get off Twitter for and and you you quickly find yourself in a situation where where do I get my news these days? How do you do that? RSS is still around, but no one's using it the same way, you know, and most people get their news from Facebook or Twitter or some version of social media. I actually went and hunt through frustration. I, because I'd go on the Twitter, I'd go on these things and then you see the things you care about, but then you also see rabbit holes. They like try to pull you down. And so out of frustration for like longer form content or just more intellectual 
views of stuff rather than just like the scream view. I started researching and I actually found a couple like newsletters that I subscribe to. Uh, and so now like my key source are these two like newsletters I get every morning, which kind of like summarize tech and business and this very yeah. like direct. Way. I, I definitely think there's going to be uh, what we may call cottage industry things popping up around the ability to get information from others in a filtered way, which also is a dangerous approach too, because then you have somebody else filtering the information for you as well. But at the same time, you're not, people aren't going to want to sift through that stuff anymore. So how are you staying fit during the, during the lockdowns? <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. That is tough. It is, I have worked, I, I work more now and I've been remote. If you recall, I've been remote for 10 years. I've never lived in San Francisco and I've been doing the remote thing for quite some time. So I, if anyone should be familiar with being used to this, it's me. And yet I have worked more during the pandemic and COVID than I ever have. And I'm in worse shape and it is tough. It's tough because there's this, I feel like there's this cognitive overhead. I'm a little bit more tired than I typically feel, you know, what's that about? Um, I have been trying to do a lot more, um, simple things, walking, eating less, a little bit more things that I can do on a, on a consistent everyday basis instead of having, obviously going to a gym is, had been difficult for quite some time. And if you live in a state where that might be slightly more open, how do you feel about going? Well, I don't feel that comfortable going, so I'm not. So things I do at home. So I do walk more, take more calls on the, the headset. been doing a lot of kettlebell stuff. I'm trying to, trying to do things I can do in 10, 15 minutes because schedules have gotten pretty bad. Yeah, it's, it's the wild west down here in Florida. Gyms are like fully open <laughs> and packed. Yeah. But they do the temperature checks though. Like, so here's the deal at my gym, you have to walk in with a mask on, but then once you check in and you have to do a temperature check. So you walk in, you do a temperature check. And then if you're all good, you get to go in and then you don't have to wear a mask while you're working out. That's interesting. I, um, I'm not sure I would feel comfortable being inside in a place that does not have the mask mandate at the moment. I, uh, each their own, I guess, in that That's, one. I, yeah, I'm on the side of like freedom. And I mean, I was actually hearing this like interesting argument the other day and it had nothing to do with mask. It was just talking about like the purpose of America. Like we came here, it was an experiment in like self-governing people, right? Like individual ownership and these concepts and these disciplines and these things that I, I personally am a fan of. And so when when everyone seems to be so like split up and I definitely don't like, go political stuff on this podcast but when when things seem to be split right up i just try to find like some really good principles that everybody can enjoy and then just like hit those hard because when things are split what you need is unity right and so it's like all right well rather than figure out like how we're all so different let's find some things that we all agree on because we could we could use some of that right now <laughs> we could use some <laughs> unity in 2020 that is for sure mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah and we, maybe we all direct our uh, anger at the algorithms. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, we'll stick with we'll stick with like freedom and and things that we like as 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 people. Um, so what what are you watch? Are you watching anything interesting these days? Any any good media? You know, um, I don't think that I 
I can't actually say that I've started to watch more things in lockdown. Obviously, just like early in the early days of this, I think uh, Mandalorian had just come out or something like that. I think my son and I watched Mandalorian for the first time. Of course, I started hearing about Tiger King, or is it as Tiger King? That's what it was called, right? <laughs> it was Tiger like, something. They, yeah. Yeah. In the early days. So I did, I did watch an episode or two of that. And I was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about humanity continuing to watch this one. So um, there was, uh, I think, didn't Bill and Ted's three just yeah, come out? Yeah. And so I'm waiting to see, I, I do want to see, uh, what is it, Tenant? But I'm not going to to a theater at the moment. So I want to see if they can stream it. Uh, I will watch anything that they stream from a theater perspective at home. There was a TV show that just came out on Amazon Prime, I want to say. The Boys? Yeah, uh, um, the superhero one. The, okay. So I did watch a couple episodes of that as they're coming out. And I, they had a season one already, so I watched season one, and then I'm watching the um, episodes as they come out just now. But not not too much that I'm really watching these days. There's a pretty oh, and then. Basketball came back, so I've been watching basketball. Are, are there like crowds? How do they deal with that? Basketball. Uh, so uh, do, they're doing a bubble for basketball, and they're down in Orlando, actually. Okay. Um, and what they do is that they, they, they chose a set of teams that were close to making the playoffs to start, and they said basically you're essentially self quarantined inside this bubble, and um, can't leave. If you leave, you've got to quarantine inside your room when you come back for X amount of days, depending on if you got tested every day or not. And um, until the playoffs are over, you don't get to leave if you're still competing for the for the championship. And right now they're in the the finals, the conference finals. So the West is playing, and the East are playing, and there there's four teams left, and they're continuing to go. Nice, nice. But they 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 don't have like an audience. It's just they're playing no, it's all empty. streamed. Okay, yeah, they have got, they do have a. Um, I'm not sure technically how they do. It. I'm assuming it's a it's massive amount of TVs that are all kind of linked together. But they're doing a thing where audience members can broadcast themselves into the arena, the the, the place where they're playing, and they're digitally uh, broadcast on there. That's actually that's a way better solution than cutouts, you know, or it whatever is, else they were. It's talking It's a lot about. more fun. You get you do have a lot more uh, interesting things that happen with that, and the cutouts they're kind of creepy. They're kind of like, creepy. Right? Let's just admit that. Yes. <laughs> but I, I saw, I think I saw the first person was Tony Robbins. Uh, Cause I follow him on online and he, you know, does these massive events in person like four times a year or something. And he did this, like he built this stage and this giant wall of like zoom videos. And I was just blown away by it. And then since then I've seen like a number of other people build these studios with these walls of video of all the people on them. So that makes sense at the NBA. Was it the NBA? Yeah, you were talking about. Yeah, the uh, NBA basketball. did it. Yeah, and um, you know, football. I think they're doing the cutouts. What they're doing? No, is it baseball that's doing the cutouts? Somebody's doing some cutout somewhere. And I remember seeing a picture of it. It's like, that's sure I get it, but also a little creepy. Yeah, Jake. Jake just said that uh, baseball is doing cutouts. Baseball is so. doing cutouts. Okay, I think football is doing. Um, no, nobody in the stands or anything like that, but football is pumping in crowd noise interestingly and um so like you know if you're the the home team they're pumping in the the cheers and the claps if you've done something positive in the booze if you're doing something negative i guess or whatever and um i had saw something i went down a little bit of a rabbit hole about it um because i do like sports but one of the philadelphia eagle home games apparently one of their players did something kind of boneheaded and they pumped in a whole bunch of booze to kind of get the philadelphia (laughs) <laughs> crowd vibe going and i thought that is 
brutal. Nobody understands, and somebody's making a choice here to pump in booze because of uh, some boneheaded play that you did. It's like, ah, all right. See, what we need, though, is like on the video connections, we need like clap icons, you know, and boo icons, and then you should generate the noise based off of what the people are actually doing. It is kind of strange, actually, being remote in this environment when you're doing things like, you know, podcasts are one thing, but I've done a bunch of, um, you know, conference remote conferences now, and you don't have any feedback whatsoever in terms of how you're doing. And then whenever you're on stage, while there's lights and there's things that are happening, you always place people in the audience and you're looking for head nods or you're looking for the thumbs up or you're kind of looking for signal. So you've got your own plants inside the audience, but you're also looking at others too. And you're just trying to see how that's resonating with folks. There is zero feedback anymore when you're in an environment like this. And it is kind of strange when you're giving a presentation. It is very. And like when I first got into public speaking, somebody gave me that advice. They said, when you're, when you're up on stage and you're doing your like beginning, start scanning that the people you can see. Cause you can really only see like the first like row or two yeah. scan the people you can see and find the person who's tracking with you. There'll be a person or two that are tracking with you and then look yep. at them and talk to them and watch how they're going. And when I did that, I was like, Whoa, this concept of interacting with the crowd is like its own part of life. It's like its own unique experience that I, I personally enjoy. It's very different, though, in uh, 2020 to, to do that. So you've got to find your own rhythm. And that's the way I, I kind of describe it, because you can you can feed off energy like Tony Robbins always talked about this actually way back when, when you're in the, the arena, the energy that the, the audience or the fans they give you, there is no energy, you've got to create your energy, you got to bring it. So you've got to bring that with you. And you've got to keep it going. Yeah, one of my, um, one of my kids, uh, they play with uh, this guy named Luke and Luke's like one of Tony's main guys. And he's also a speaker. So Tony like travels with a bunch of speakers uh, that he works with. And I was over at their house and they have like the trampolines that they use, like all Tony and all the speakers use. They jump on the trampoline backstage before they go on. Uh, <laughs> so I, I got to jump up and down on the trampoline. I was like, okay, I'm not bringing one of these with me to my tech talks. <laughs> <laughs> but I see the value of like getting you pumped up. So I just put in yeah. music and read through some notes and get myself, you get like eye of the tiger going, get pumped up, you know? It's, it's the, um, um, I mean, I don't think this ever goes away for folks, but there is that, those butterflies that you get before you go on stage, particularly for a larger audience. Um, and I always talk about the, um, the perfect dose of caffeine. When you go on stage, if you have too much, you're going to talk too fast. If you don't have enough, you're going to have the jitters, which one that perfect dose, you know, you want to have like just the right, the coffee hit at the right amount of time ahead of uh, going on stage. I can see the same thing with uh, getting amped up. Yeah. Right. You can't, you can't do too many songs in a row. You get to get too pumped up. If you do, I have the tiger like three times, you're going to be like through the roof. I have the tiger yeah. one, one time, maybe one and a half. <laughs> the entire well, Rocky is... for a soundtrack would be fine. There we go. There we go. Okay, so I'm curious. We were we were doing research and we found some fitness books written written by a Jason. Is that Ugh. is that you, buddy? So that is me. That I is love me. them. I love them. It seems like something from the past that you're just like, ah. Eh. But I I loved it. Like when I was reading through them, we were so excited. Our producer was like, "I'm going to do a push up for every minute of the episode." I was like, "We're going to make this thing go through the evening." Hope you brought your sleeping bag. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, so my face got a little redder um, on this, just so you know, if you're watching instead of listening. But yeah, um, <laughs> uh, no, yeah. So a friend of mine did those um, probably about 10 years ago. We started doing them at this point. Yeah, it's been about 10 years. And I think um, I think I'm co-author on what, five of them, about five. And he did somewhere between eight and 13 or something like that. He went through a real spell of doing them. And that, but he and I just kind of um, got into a phase where we were really getting into fitness. Um, and and uh, he connected with a publisher, Ulysses. And we just had a series of books that we they wanted us to produce for various niche markets. And some of them were were what they call uh, challenge books. So they started with Steve Spears, who did the, I think it was seven weeks to three hundred push-ups is where it really started. And then they, you know, pull-ups and um, sit-ups and things of that nature and adding muscle or, you know, losing weight or things like that. Those are called challenge books. And then the other ones were just general fitness books for various niche markets that they were trying to go after. And we never written books before, so we wanted to see what it was like and, uh, you know, got into doing it. Dude, that's exciting. I mean, look, I've got some embarrassing stuff from the past. I'll, I'll throw out there just so you're not alone. Um, I've intentionally never talked about it on the podcast, but I think this is probably a good time. So I did these, these uh, like motivational uh, audio tracks. That nice. I, yeah. So it was called like Beast Mode Audio. And I just wrote these motivational speeches, right? Because I, I had heard somebody like do this on YouTube. And I was like, well, that's an actually, that's pretty interesting. And my, my brother-in-law is like a music producer. And so like he pointed me in the right direction, helped me out with all of it. But I released an album and had it on like Spotify and stuff. And I'd done this, I don't know, I think like 10 years ago, right? And uh, I was just kind of like, okay, that was, that was like a fun project just to see what that would be like. And it was out there and it wasn't like on the first page. It was like on page like 20 of Google if you searched for me, yeah, right? You get a deep Google to find those, yeah, right? You gotta, yeah, you got to go like ex-girlfriend, stalker status, like to find them, right? So then one day I walk in, I'm working on this project um, for like this government agency thing. And I, and I walk in and they, uh, they, they pull up on the, the conference line and the hold music, they had found one of these tracks and made the hold music one of my tracks. And I was like, oh my God. And they all just like cracked up and were laughing. They had planned it ahead of time. And I was just like, are you kidding me? Dude, I looked like a tomato. I was so that, red. <laughs> that is an awesome, I love that. But that is deadpan type of just make it. Oh, that is amazing. That's like walking into the lunchroom at GitHub and everybody's reading that book. <laughs> So, so GitHub, they found out about it, but by the time we did the books and then my time in GitHub, enough years have passed where, you know, the Google searches are on page 14 or something like that. And there's enough Jason Warners in the world too, where you kind of can get disassociated with time, even on Google, there's, their algorithms don't match it up. But when I was at Heroku, um, Heroku had a gym in the basement of the building on 7th and Townsend in San Francisco. And given that I was remote, I didn't see this very often. So one day I go down to the gym. Next thing you know, there's books everywhere in the gym. And I'm just, I just realized like, oh no, they found these things. And there was one guy, there was this one guy who I became good friends with who said, yeah, we just happened to think that we didn't have enough educational material down here. So <laughs> it's like, you son of a <laughs> but 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 think about it though. At least it's not like you in like '80s attire, like skin tight, like stuff doing some workout jazz jazzercise video. 
that like, is fair hair going on you there know? there is a um there is a jason warner uh who who we've gotten merged at one point i think we've been disassociated with each other um now but there's another jason warner who wrote a couple of books but this jason warner is um is a musician but happens to be a gay christian rock musician who wrote a book on same-sex christian surrogacy with his partner and yes there's like uh there's a lot of things you got to jump over to get to that one but that person in mind came up in the same search settings but the funny part is i became very good friends with um the head of sales at, at, at github who he himself is um married to a guy and they have a surrogate son and they they went down that path so i happened to send him one of those books and he's like wait a second i was like no no it just so happens that that's my name on the book but it's not me and i just thought you'd find it super hilarious and he's like i got super confused really quickly but thanks for clarifying that oh i love it that's that's a good one we we all have things in our past i mean i don't even i guess i don't even know why i get that embarrassed about it maybe because i tend to like want i see myself as someone who follows through on things and can you know does things for long periods of time and i just kind of did that as as like a fun project to experiment with what it would be like and at one point i even i even checked because like i put it out there you know let a couple years go by but i was getting like between like 10 and fifteen thousand plays a month on it on on spotify so i was like hey it didn't uh maybe it helps somebody (laughs) i don't there's there's something strange about having it out there you know particularly if you just become more well known for a certain thing like you've gotten the the podcast and obviously my time at heroku and github kind of put me into a a sphere of influence that's weird and then have that out there is like oh hang on a sec had i thought this through i might have used a, a code name or a uh, surname or something like that on those books. Uh, but at the same time, you just, it just, you just start to laugh about it at this point. Well, it's pretty obscurified of like when we were doing our research, we, we, we weren't sure we weren't sure because like, you can't really tell in your author picture if, if that's you or not, it's like a jacked guy, but like, you're not looking at the camera you're like doing a push up or like 300 of them. (laughs) (laughs) But um, what gave it away, here's like three, three simple little words gave it away. And it was like lives with his like wife and so-and-so in like, so, like something British Columbia. And that, that same sentence was both in your profile for your author profile and uh, your profile and your biography. It was like written the exact same way. And I was like, okay. that's him. There it is. Yeah, that is definitely me. Uh, and yes, that, that would have given it away. Dude, well, that's cool. I think you should write, we should write like a, a technology fitness book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, uh, the, um, maybe at some point we should do the how to stay in shape while traveling a ton for work, like a travel fitness thing. Cause there's a lot of people who could, uh, probably benefit from like n- not screwing up your back while traveling, which is something I've experienced in the last couple of years or, you know, hotel workouts or something like that. That is actually, you know, what I what I heard from somebody, um, and then I implemented it was uh, when I land, I go to the grocery store and hmm. I stay in the hotels because you would. I was so surprised to find this out. There's an entire like class of hotels that have kitchens in them, right? Yep. They're pretty much everywhere. You just have to look for them. Like none of them, like when you use your app, you're not going to get one by default. You have to go like specify and filter out and find the right ones. But I just, uh, I go to the grocery store get one of those types of hotel rooms and then just keep making, keep making my food. 
you know, as much as I can. It's hard. It's not easy. It takes a lot of discipline. No, in fact, like one of the things that I did, um, because I do travel a ton or I used to travel a ton. Um, I actually implemented very strict rules when I traveled and in many ways actually got in better shape with more extensive travel because my rules were so rigid and strict that, were they? that I thought, well, what I said was when I travel, I will always work out every day. You, you know, you, it's the first thing you do for me when I woke up in the morning, I tried to find a hotel that had a pool, um, because one of the best ways to stay fit when you're traveling is swimming and swimming in general is a great, great workout. Um, I would always eat the same thing every day, no deviation. And I wouldn't eat out. Um, if I went out to a restaurant, I always pick the same, I would always know the menu I'm going to eat and I would eat the same thing, set of things. Um, and if I went to a hotel, I, I, I tried to put a standing order in if I, or stay at the same hotel, put a standing order in. So if I'm coming to there, I'd call down and say, Hey, it's Jason. I'm in this room. I like the usual. And I would never try, I would never waver from that. So you can always kind of guarantee you at least as much as you can possibly control in a situation like that, that you're going to get, you know, you understand how many calories you're eating, how many grams of protein, carbs and fat and all that sort of stuff that you're going to eat. And you try to, to, to stick with it. Um, and then no drinking whatsoever when you're traveling. And that, you know, is odd for some people, but, um, that is the easiest way to let things go awry. Um, I don't drink in general anymore, but, uh, when I first implemented it was like, nope, no casual drinking whatsoever. Yeah, I haven't been drinking since my 20s, really. Basically, it's when it started to affect me, like it, I would wake up and be like, oh, that I feel like garbage. And I just don't like to feel like garbage. I like to feel good. But I'm, I'm like 200 and I got a notification the other day. I'm like 270 or 280 days in to I've tracked every calorie and macro that I've eaten, weighed myself every day, and I've been working out like five times a week. So I put on about, put on about like uh, 11, right now I'm about like 11 pounds of muscle for the, for the year since January. Well, I like the fact that you're, uh, gaining muscle is one of those things that does take an incredible amount of time. And, and, you know, there's, there's things that you can't do in short periods of time. Gaining muscle is one of those that you can't do in a short period of time. And also gaining strength. You just can't, you can't gain a massive amount of strength in a short period of time. You have to be consistent. And it's actually one of those things that makes you appreciate athletes of a certain caliber because you understand that for them to achieve a certain set of things you have to put in the time it's you got to put in the time consistently over a long stretch of time um, with a certain intensity and it's, it's kind of fascinating once you know that you can appreciate some people's achievements more 100 percent. i started making friends with people at the gym just because i'm there so much and I was like looking at the different size people and like asking them how long they've been, you know, consistently working out. And wouldn't you know, the big Jack people have been doing it for like a decade. Like they've been yeah, working out forever. A, there's a, there's a, obviously if you get into like performance enhancing drug territory, there's certain shortcuts you can take, but that still does not mean you don't put in the work. Those are just, let's call them flavor enhancers. There's certain like thresholds you can get to now that are achievable for uh, that would not be physiologically achievable by a normal human being, but you can get to those things. But I think it was um, someone like the rocks, I believe said, Hey, how do you get to look like you? And he's like, simple. You just work out every day for an hour for the next 20 years. Yep. That's what you do. That's what you do. Yeah. I saw it. Dude. I love the rock. I, I follow his uh, Instagram. He got his gate broke the other day. Like, so he couldn't get to the movie shoot. So he just like ripped it off with his hands. <laughs> and he took like a video I, I, of it. 
<laughs> I like to, to so so I have two of my man crushes, uh, and The Rock is one. The other one's Ryan Reynolds, and I've been incessantly teased about them for like fifteen years. But luckily, they've they've both of them have entered the general consciousness for people to to just appreciate. But I've liked Ryan Reynolds since he was on. There was a two guys in a pizza shop or two guys in a yeah. pizza shop TV show or something like that. But The Rock and those then and him are two of the people that I will. I think I only have Instagram these days to follow those two people. Let's talk a little bit about leadership stuff before we wrap up. Is that cool? Awesome. We'd love to. Boom. All right. So right out of the gate, uh, I, I was reading this AMA and I was, well, this is actually not leadership at all, <laughs> but I was reading this AMA of you and it said that you, you almost tried to quit tech twice. Can you elaborate on that? Sure. So I, I did. I almost quit tech twice. Um, and both times I would think that either I'm not cut out for it either from a personality perspective or it's just too brutalistic from a leadership perspective. Like you, you just end up working for just jerks on a regular basis. And to be, to be really frank, you, it's hard to quit tech because the money is so good. Like you just, even as a programmer in the lifestyle, the money is phenomenal and you get to solve interesting problems, but you sometimes do it for jerks. And so I remember in my late twenties is when I really started to take over um, engineering teams. And, and I realized that I could give them something I never had, which was a good leader, a good team, uh, an approachable system and um, uh, way of, you know, a job. They can get satisfaction out of it and they can, they can achieve things, but they don't have to be completely ground down. And I realized that like, you know, while I was trying to quit twice and I couldn't for financial reasons, I really wanted to make it my life's work that I would show that there was a completely different way to achieve significant outcome and do it in a different way. And something that maybe others have been able to do, but you don't see the, the examples in the industry as broadly as you see kind of brutalistic examples. And so like, so you, you, you stayed in order to be a better leader to these people, give them. I, I stayed originally to do, I stayed one first because the money was too good. Second, I like, so I'm not, I'm just being really transparent. Like it's either that's that the or most useful thing you can do, man. Yeah. Um, and then you start to stay because you realize you can give others something that you never achieved. And then you start to realize when you have some success doing it that way, I want to become that example for the broader industry. And, you know, fast forward 15 years and here I am, the single most important person in GitHub's history, doing it my way in a way that you want to, to show that is possible to do, turning GitHub around and then giving GitHub its massive success. And then you think, oh, how far could I take this? Could I show that you could do it at a Microsoft scale or a large company scale like that? And then you, we, can, we can just completely jettison Larry Ellison examples of the world at some point and say, yeah, that's a tactic that you can do. And it's easier to go to Larry Ellison's path. But there, look at Jason's way of doing it. Yes, it's harder to do. And it's a, it's a higher skill move and you're threading more needles, but it is possible. And that's what we want the industry to strive for. Yes, yes, and yes. I hundred percent when I, when I, a few years ago, I, I bought um, three books from billionaires because that's one of my goals. I want to bring a billion dollars worth of value to the world. And, and I, I read uh, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson. And when I, what I learned from listening to their stories and watching their leadership styles and everything from that was that I wanted to be, I wanted to pick the best parts 
of each yep. of those individuals because uh, like Bezos yelled a lot and, and Musk had some issues too with temperament. Branson was really nice and, and sweet and just led with like a different culture, but then he wasn't as like technical. So I was like, all right, I want some like the technic. I, I just picked the best parts and I was like, all right, let's try to make that human. <laughs> but yeah. I've started to call this what, what, um, one of the things that I um, struggle with in the industry in general is that um, the tech industry over rewards competence as opposed to competence. And in the long term, in the, in the, in the timescale approaching infinity, competence will tend to win, tend to win. But in the short term, you could over reward or over over signal on competence alone. And so I have tried to show that you can be competent with competence. And that was the thing I struggled with early on in my career was I was overly competent and lacked confidence. And now obviously I'm at a different point in stage in my career and I have both and I still have the confidence and I, I've, I've gained the confidence. But if I was younger and I had the confidence, I would say overconfidence of some people in the industry for what they've ach they achieved early on, I would, I would have had a head start. Now, obviously I'm in my forties and I'm doing it. But I think what you said is right. Like, don't study anyone and try to adopt anyone. Like, Steve Jobs is amazing for what he is, but he is a he was a terrible example of a world of a leader. But he was a great product thinker and a good company builder. But he himself was not the shining example of what you should strive for uniformly. There are aspects of what he did that are amazing, but if he could have been rounded out with some of the other aspects of others, it, it would he would have even achieved more. What's some of the the best? leadership advice that you've gotten, like people have given to you, you've implemented, you worked it out and you liked it. I, I think that the, the singular best uh, advice I got was um, there's two things. One is like, it, it's a leadership neg. Like I was told that I wouldn't achieve what I would want to achieve with my style. And at that point, and it was by a terrible person, an absolute drag on society type of person who I didn't just disliked. And, and I was in that, to me was the counter, the anti-advice, which is like, now I will show you type of deal. However, he was right about one, one thing. You do have to, you have to make people money. And he said, I, you know, if you, if you can make people money in your style, then you can have success. He didn't actually say that to me. That was my takeaway. His was, if you make people money, that's success. What I realized in his statement though, was you cannot have success that does not involve making people money or company money or an industry money. And your point about bringing a billion dollars worth of value is, is spot on. If you can bring the value with your methods and your approach, then you can have success. But if you have your methods and approach and don't have the success, you can't claim it. So that was something that I had to orient around. It's effectively in sports is you could be the nicest manager or coach or whatever, but if you don't win the championship, they're going to knock you. But if you win the championship, your methods start to get looked at more. So you got to win. You always have to win. Yeah. And once you win, doing it your way, that's success. Yeah, and you can't, and you can't, you can't do it like that without being uh, a worker, like working on your craft, like understand you, you got to be oh. the personal side and the, and the craft side. Yeah. So, so the thing I've said is that there's two, there's two failure modes and um, too often we, we fall into one or two, one of the other camps. And one is you're only going to achieve, chase money or um, 
or output or whatever. And you're going to burn people out along the way. And this is where I, this is the camp I put Elon Musk in for what it's worth. And Elon Musk obviously is massively financially successful and he's going to achieve that, that same output. But he, he does burn people out. And that is one variant on something. And then there's the other side of it, which is like, I will become the best people manager. I will become the best culture person. I will do all of this sort of things. But if you don't achieve the success, this is a failure mode. Now, however, the industry is oriented towards people like Elon. Like you could, if you achieve massive financial success and you burn everybody out along the way, we as an industry do give him a pass or those people a pass. We do not give these other folks a pass. You cannot have the best culture and no output. There's no pass on that. So this is what my goal was basically to say, like, I will show that you could have a, an approach that has massive success and you can do it in a way that has people want to be around you. And it's not because for financial reasons, it's because they have a greater mission and vision. They understand how you're doing it. And they understand that you can achieve those sorts of things together. I think you're outlining the book right now. Jason's Jason's tech leader book. <laughs> I, love I, it. I will admit, I think it's, I, I, I do think it's much harder. For what it's worth, but because you have to, you have to account for a lot more things. It is, it would be much easier just to go in and, and dictatorially command fiat type of methods and say, go do this or you're out of here and you're fired and all that sort of stuff. And like, that is easier to do. And maybe it, my approach shouldn't be done because it's harder to do, but I also I don't think that I would want to be that person. Uh, it needs to, you, you have to be okay with who you are as a person while getting the job done. Right. Like, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to leave that impression. You know, let's just be decent humans and treat other people like we want to be treated. Right. And but but, I think that there's a, the other side of it, too, is I think that then you end up in a territory where it doesn't matter as long as you have the financial. So this is a, something else I've said too. Mo actually making money is not a hard problem. You could get into any of the seven deadly sins and make quite a bit of money. Um, and in fact, there's investment thesis around investing in sin companies. Or you can do nefarious things, or you can sell arms to Saudi Arabia and blah, blah, blah. You can do, there's a lot of ways to make money. But at the end of the day, what are you doing? What do you, and so, you know, I, I do fall into a camp where I go back and forth, even on myself. I said, like, maybe I should just go and work at Facebook and go do, but at the end of the day, I don't think I could actually rationalize that in my head when I'm 70. Yeah. How, how do you, how do you deal with, all right, so you're doing these, like, what did you call them? Level three things or stage three things? Yeah. Horizon three. Yep. Horizon three thing. So you're doing these horizon three things. So you have a team that's kind of like working on experiments. Um, like how do you coach them around failure or, or does it not come up because they're the culture? So the thing is with, with what I'm doing with the office of the CTO is, um, is you've got to find a little bit more senior folks who are pretty resilient in and of themselves because you, the, the way I've described this is if you're doing horizon one, horizon two, or horizon three, you're basically going to have different failure rates. And horizon one, it should be near zero failure rate, 100% success rate, because either you, you understand what you're building and who you're building it for. Um, but if you don't have that, you've not done the correct product work at that point to get to that. So let's say, say that's anywhere from like one year to 18 months out. You should understand what you're building. Horizon two is anywhere from one year to two year or one year to two and a half, depending on the size of the company, all that sort of stuff. But your, your success rate there is probably going to be closer to 80%. You should, you've, you mostly know what you're building. You've got the customer feedback. You've done some of the, the, the co-dev with them or others in the industry to understand that. You're going to have some failure, but 20% failure there should be understood. Well, 
Well, with what we're doing, most of the things we're going to be doing will fail. We'll answer, this is yet another way to not make a light bulb type of situation. And I expect that we should probably fail 80% of the time. Horizon two and horizon three should be inverted. And our, but our successes should be massive. If we're doing something, it should be, we shouldn't be experimenting on something that is an incremental gain. It should be a monumental gain for the company or the industry. So how I coach them to think about these things, and this is why you typically need people who have experienced their own project failures in, in uh, the software already, is that success is answering a way to not do something. The project does not fail, quote unquote, because we said this is not worth our time. That is a success because we've told people that this is not worth our time to go do. So you almost have to reorient what failure and success is. I love it. Boom. Jason, you're the man. We've got four minutes left. Anything else that we, that we didn't get out there? I want to be respectful of your, your stop. So, um, no, I, I love coming on with you all. I think this is, I just have a good time talking. This is fun. I love your new digs. That looks great. Congrats on that. Thanks, man. Yeah. Well, you have a fantastic day, Jason. We'll talk soon. All right. See ya. See ya. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.